there's no requirement that makes you a professional. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're, you're even, I had a, you know, friend that he was like working really hard at the game, stuff like that. And, you know, he would look and like these guys would just get great results and he would just not get too many good results. And it, you know, it's very tough in your head. You're like, what am I doing wrong? I'm doing everything I can. I'm studying, I'm mm-hmm. whatever. And it's just the variance of the game. So you have to sort of embrace that and like really try, especially in poker, not to be jealous of anybody's results and sort of try and be happy for, especially your friends. Sometimes it even happens for myself. Sometimes I get jealous if my, my friend has a good result and then like I've sat there for like a, you know, a month or two not doing very well. Mm-hmm. And you, you know that's very toxic for your like own well being and stuff like that and relationships. So you just I think you grow into it and just realize like you know all you can do is work on your game and have a good mindset and you know root for your friends and stuff like that. That was professional poker player Adam Hendricks. He learned to play poker when he was a kid at his grandma's house in Homer. Every time he would visit. He'd play penny poker with his aunts and uncles. But what really got him interested in it was the first time he watched the ESPN World Series of Poker main event coverage. It was filled with these unique characters, boisterous and stone-faced, sometimes wearing funny hats, headphones, sunglasses, or costumes. It was a career unlike any he'd ever heard of before. Fast forward to college, and he's playing $5 poker games in his dorm at Virginia Tech. There, he had a solid group of friends he'd play poker with. Sometimes they would travel to play poker, too. They'd go to places like Atlantic City, where they would play until all their chips were gone. Some days they would do better than others. Poker's unique in that way, Adam says. If you can afford the buy-in, then you can play. And because of that, you get so many different people, from beginners to experts, that come to the table every day. He says that his upbringing contributed to his worldliness and his understanding of people, both of which are essential qualities in a poker player. His dad worked in oil, so his family traveled a lot, living in a number of different states and countries. In high school, he lived in Egypt. It was an experience that introduced him to a lot of different people and cultures. Looking back on it now, he says that his time in Egypt made him the poker player he is today. Because after all, poker is also a game of psychology. The better you can read people, the more formative a player you'll be. So here he is, Adam Hendricks. Welcome to Chattermarks, a podcast of the Anchorage Museum, dedicated to exploring Alaska and the Circumpolar North through the creative and critical thinking of ideas, past, present, and future. My name is Cody Liska, and I'll be your host. So your Instagram handle is Iceman Hendrix. Is there a story to that? Yeah, I mean, it sort of sounds like being from Alaska. That would be more of the thing. It's more uh, when I was at the tables, um, sort of the the older crowd, maybe the the fifty year old player that I was playing poker with or something. Mm-hmm. They they would be like, "Oh, you sort of look like a young Val Kilmer or something." <laughs> and then from there, I was like, "Well, this sort of fits, you know." Need some sort of nickname going. And that's Iceman from Top Gun, right? 
Correct. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Which is pretty funny. I like finally actually watched the movie a few years ago. <laughs> but I was like, man, I should have probably, probably take a look. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So you live in Vegas, right? Right. Yeah. How often do you go to the casinos to play poker? I mean, to play poker, um, probably maybe two to three times a week. But during the summers when it's like a lot of tournaments in Vegas, uh, it's like every day. I also live right on the Vegas Strip. So just to go get food or get grab a drink or do whatever is like pretty much going through a casino in some way or around one. What's that like living on the the Vegas Strip? Uh, it's really nice. Um, it's interesting, you know, walking out, your neighbors are changing every day sort of because you're just getting all these new tourists to Vegas with, you know, their their big drinks in their hand and all sorts <laughs> yeah. of different sights. You see some families, which I've never really understood, Stan bringing like a family to Vegas, but uh, to each their own. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's actually like the building I'm in, it's an apartment complex. It's really quiet once you're inside of it and you sort of forget that you're you're on the Vegas Strip. Um, yeah. Occasionally, you'll hear like a, a pool party across the way or something at the Cosmopolitan or something like that. And, but it's really nice just to be able to walk outside and get all that different type of food and drinks and just sort of a great people watching city. If yeah. you're just you know one of those types, just to watch people. In your experience, what kind of person? lives on the strip you know you play poker that is your profession that's your job so it makes a lot of sense for you to live where you live but what other careers or what other jobs have you seen people you know that live in that apartment building have yeah our apartment building i mean it's it's always at capacity but i think a lot of people just treat it as maybe a vacation spot okay. if they're like you know they're like sports they come to to bet sports or they're coming from California, maybe for tax reasons or something like that. Um, then you have like the people that live there 24 seven, like my girlfriend who lives with me, she, she works at a casino nearby on the strip as a, like a convention manager. And uh, okay. so there's people like that, that pretty much everybody works around the casino in some way. There's a huge, you know, food and beverage um, group and uh, union there so there's a lot of people working even if they're not working on the strip they might move out and open up their own business like mm -hmm. restaurants off the strip a little cheaper to you know for for rent and everything but you just get i think mostly everybody's some way working at the casino in whatever way it may be either it's you know working at a restaurant or being a poker player or you know other, other things yeah yeah my wife and i went to college in reno and we lived there for about five years. And it's really interesting to live in a place like that. And I understand that Reno is, you know, a lot less uh, gambling oriented than a place like Vegas. But as far as our relationship with Reno went, it was like home. You know, it wasn't, oh, let's go to the casino and, and gamble, you know, because that obviously wasn't our profession. We were there to, to go to college, but that, uh, I guess that dichotomy has always been interesting to me where you have these tourists that come in and they have a totally different relationship with the city that you live in. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I, I usually in the mornings I walk, go get coffee somewhere and I'm walking the Vegas strip and I'm sort of, you know, 
walking like maybe like in New York or you're just like walking really fast through everybody around everybody. Yeah. And then I'm just like, also like, Oh, these people are sort of here for just to relax. <laughs> and they're, that's why they're yeah. walking so slow or, you know, they don't really know their way around. Everything's new to them. I, I remember my first time in Vegas and like, 2012 or something like that. I just remember like all the buildings being so big, mm -hmm. um, the Bellagio fountains, you know, now I treat, treat that as usual, you know, you sort of get used to it, but just being a tourist there for the first time is just so much different and interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite casino that you go to or do you mix it up? Oh, I mean, I have to sort of mix it up for work. Uh, just because different casinos put on different tournament series throughout the year, um, different buy-in levels, stuff like that. Um, I really like going to the Wynn Casino and the Aria. Those are probably my top two. Mm -hmm. Just the Aria is right next to me. It's very, very modern and new. It's one of the newer casinos. Uh, the Wynn is just run really well, especially for if you ask most poker players, they just find it one of the best rooms possible because okay. just the staff's really good and they, they know how to run a tournament or a cash game and sort of what players like and want. And then uh, also at the Aria, um, they have this poker go studio where you see a lot of the, the television, uh, like a, it's like a television set for poker mm -hmm. and uh, it's really high end, you know, I don't, the TV sets like nothing I've ever seen. You can actually play there. If you're just in the tournament, uh, they play more high rollers so anything above ten thousand dollars goes on there and they just recently had a three hundred thousand dollar buy in there so that's just like the the best place you can ever play is in that studio how much was the last buy-in that you did um there was a ten thousand dollar um buy-in at the poker Row studio they usually run maybe three or four poker series so you play maybe 10 events and there's like a leaderboard with a cash prize. And then on top of that, you're also, you know, winning or losing money in each event. Yeah. Did you ever imagine that you would be in a position to go to a casino and drop like 10 G's? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I, like it's with poker. Like I would never imagine myself <laughs> like gam gambling or playing like blackjack or something. Yeah, yeah. That just seems ridiculous to me. Um, but no, I don't think I remember even like, a right before COVID I was just playing and I was, you know, watching these high rollers. And then some of my friends were starting to play them because we're sort of moving up the ranks. And I was like, oh, that's sort of silly to play like a 10 K, you know, is there an edge in the game versus all these good players? And then like a year later I was playing them and I'm like, oh man, this is wild. Like I'm playing next to like Daniel Negreanu and stuff like that. And all the, mm -hmm. the super pros and you're like, oh, this is sort of surreal. Yeah. But I mean, from where I started, just like $5 games, you're like never thinking you're going to play $10,000 in one, one sitting or anything like that. And what do you think got you to that level, you know, from playing $5 games to playing $10,000 games? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people maybe just, it's, it's tough being in the casino all the time. Uh, I think a lot of people have what we call like leaks, things that just like, you know, take away from their winnings, whether it be like you're a really good poker player, but you also like to play the slots or you okay. like to play okay. blackjacks, blackjack. And that's sort of a leak, right? You're, you're doing something po like profitable. You're winning mm -hmm. like maybe a few hundred dollars a week or something like that. But like every time you d sit down and play slots, like 
long term you, you can't win at the game, right? That's it's rigged for the casino. Um, so I think for me, luckily, I had a really good group of like friends that I started playing poker with when I was living on the East Coast. We'd go to like Atlantic City, and like all we would do, you know, if we busted the tournament, we might like. I don't know, go to like Buffalo Wild Wings and like talk poker and just hang out, play video games or something like that. Okay. And like some of the people, you know, they would bust the tournament, then they would like find themselves playing a few hundred dollars at blackjack or, you know, drinking the night before a tournament, stuff like that. So it's just sort of like, I don't know, you're just trying to prep yourself for like the doing like the best long term. So if, yeah, I think that that helps just like a good core group. I'm pretty lucky to have that. None of my friends have you know, don't have any like gambling problems or anything like that. Like we walk in a casino, we don't even think to play at any of the tables. Yeah. That seems to me a fundamental thing for any job, you know, don't be wasteful. <laughs> right. Yeah. And poker is unique in the way there's not too many jobs where you walk in and you have to put up like your own money yeah. to work every day. And there's no, you're not always going to get it back. I mean, especially in uh, like poker tournaments, you buy in for a thousand dollars and 10 to 20% of the time, uh, depending on the tournament, you're, uh, the people get paid. So if there's a hundred people in a tournament, probably only 15 people get paid every day. So that's a lot of times you're like losing in the tournament and you're like, oh, well, I'm <laughs> just down, you know, that buy-in, but uh, as long as you're a good player and a profitable player, you play a hundred tournaments, you're going to, you know, win over that long, uh, long period of time. Yeah. And there are situations with some players where they have a backer, right? So they're not paying for that buy-in out of their own pocket. Yeah. There's, there's a different, there's a bunch of different types of like backing in poker. Um, okay. Main, like for me, I've never had a formal backer who just pays for every buy-in and then we split the profits. That's usually like what a, a backer does. But I, I sometimes say I'm playing these $10,000 tournaments or start getting up to, you know, north of like in a week, I'm playing a $100,000 buy-in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not sustainable for me to just put up a hundred K yeah. um, if I have, you know, X amount of money. So you always look at it in terms of uh, like buy-in. So you should probably have for these live tournaments, I, I don't know, minimum 40 buy-ins if they're like soft sort of lower stakes tournaments and then probably a hundred buy-ins for the bigger, bigger stakes. So mm -hmm. you always want to just, if you can't afford a hundred K, you find out, you know, what's the maximum I can afford and say it's like 10 K. Now you sell 90% of that to other people. So it could be friends, it could be poker players, it could be whoever you want. Mm -hmm. And you'll sell, um, let's say 90% of 100K is 90K. They'll give you the 90K and in return, they get a percentage of your profit. So if they bought 90% of it, they get 90% of the winnings. Um, mm -hmm. And then to go deeper in that, uh, sometimes people charge markup, which is just sort of almost like a an ROI fee. So if you're a really good player and you think you have a 50% return on your $1,000 or something like that, you're going to charge these people a little, a, like a fee to, to buy in. Okay. So they're not getting it at face value. Right. So that way you're actually earning a little bit of money off selling this, which, you know, some people do a lot of just to, you know, whether it be for travel fees or whatever else it helps cover some costs. 
You know what's interesting to me about poker players is it's one of the only professions where it's kind of okay to ask them about money. You know, if you're in a different profession, a different career, it's kind of faux pas. Right. You're not going to go up to some, I don't know, a teacher and ask how much you made last year or yeah, exactly. Or the software engineer. You're like, what are you making? Yeah. It's <laughs> like, I don't really ask people that much about it, like as a poker player, but we get asked a lot more. I mean, I guess people are more open and some people, you know, if they're, they hit a hundred thousand dollar score, they're going to say, yeah, I made a hundred K. Mm-hmm. They might not tell you the backers or what they lost the day before too. So it's, you know, it's not always <laughs> facts. But. Yeah. You know, I like the idea of poker and I've played it off and on with my family and friends over the years, but I'm not really any good at it. I think it's a combination of not knowing the rules too well. And I also have a terrible poker face. If I have a good hand, for example, I can't hide the fact that I have a good hand. How is your poker face? Yeah, I mean, I would say I have a good poker face, uh, but... <laughs> My poker face sort of changes, I guess, more who I'm playing against. If I'm playing against some like super pros, I try and keep really composed. But like, say if we're at the same table together and you know, you're talking or you're having fun, I want to like engage with these people Mm -hmm. uh, for like two reasons. It's, it's more fun to engage and learn about somebody else at the poker table that you've never met before. Mm -hmm. That's the really Mm -hmm. cool thing about poker. I think is you sit at a table and there's nine people you might play with them for you know, six hours, an hour, whatever it is, but you, you probably never see these guys again. You're just playing and meeting these people, see, you know, learning where they're from and stuff like that. I think that's really cool. Yeah. But, uh, um, my point was, uh, yeah. So like interacting with people is good. Just, I mean, it's good socially and it's fun and keeps it, you know, you're not going to be on your phone and it's going to be more engaging, but also you might get some sort of reads off somebody. So I like to be more relaxed around what we call like recreational players, people that are just for fun Mm -hmm. just to sort of get a read. Maybe, you know, is this a big buy-in for them? Are they playing, you know, these regularly, uh, you know, are they going to play more passive stuff like that? And Mm -hmm. also just being friendly at the table, you know, uh, gives you some sort of leverage in the game, whether it's like, you know, they might play a little nicer versus you, you know, if somebody hates you, they're just going to play against you pretty like (laughs) aggressively usually. So, you know, you could use both ways to your advantage. But I feel like there's such a big psychological aspect to playing a game like poker where so much of it is about reading your opponents like you're talking about. I wonder if you feel that same way about the psychological aspect. Yeah, I mean, at the table, there's so much... Like, you get so drained when you play a tournament for 10 hours a day, maybe. Yeah, I bet you get home, you're just exhausted. It's not, you know, your muscles aren't sore, but like you're just tired and sort of drained and you just, mm-hmm. your your brain's mush. Because when you're at the table, if you're trying to be a good player, you're going to focus on everything. So you're going to focus on, you know, you're going to focus on people during a hand. If that changes when they have a bigger hand, a, a weaker hand, you're also going to look at how they, the motions at which like they bet. So they grab chips in a certain way. You're going to be looking at that. You're going to see the size of their bet um, in relation to the pot, right? If there's like a hundred dollars and they bet $20 every time and now they bet $80 another time 
and they show a really good hand, you'll, you'll notice that. And all these small things add up to when you're like actually in a poker hand with somebody and gives you, you know, beyond the fundamentals of poker, it might help you make a better decision. Yeah. So it's pretty taxing. There's a, you know, there's two sides of poker. There's the exploitative side where it's like the psychology of it sort of and mm -hmm. adjusting to the, the guy you're playing against. And then there's the really like game theory optimal. So like the perfect way to play poker based on like computers and stuff like that. And have you done a bunch of research? Yeah. I mean, all the time there's uh, a few programs on my computer I look at and it, you know, just you sort of plug in sort of if you're, you know anything about poker, like you have the flop that comes out. So it's, you have your two cards, like ace king mm -hmm. and the flop comes 10, four, seven or something like that. And you put in the situation. So put in how much money you have or something like that, what positions at the table. So it gets pretty complex. And then you, you launch that and you run a simulation on your computer and it shoots back information on like how you should play your hand. So if you should, you should check or you should bet small, bet big, all sorts of complex things it gets into. So, you know, once you've sort of mastered just poker in general, then you move into like all the small fine details. It's sort of like, I don't know, NFL players, like a quarterback throwing in a certain way, maybe isn't as efficient or he has to get it off quicker. So you find those little, little things to, you know, make you make yourself more efficient and precise. Yeah. Yeah, this is all kind of reminding me of this book I read a while back called The Professor, The Banker, and The Suicide King, where... Have you read this book? No, I haven't. Okay, so it's it's uh, it's with this billionaire. His name's Andy Beal, and he's... Oh, yes, I know Andy Beal. Well, okay, I okay. I know him. I know him, yeah. You know of him? Yeah. Um, so he is not like a traditional poker player he is really into like stats and programs and kind of like the stuff that you're talking about where there's almost a hack to the game and i guess kind of where my mind leads me with this is the characters you know that are within poker you know at least in this book i i i think i've only ever read maybe one book on poker and it's this one and there were so many so many like quirky characters and I wonder maybe first off what kind of quirks do you see with other people that kind of like draw you to this poker scene yeah I, I, the thing about poker is like there's no you don't need a college degree or anything to play you don't need I don't know. You don't need like anything besides the buy-in to play a tournament. Mm -hmm. So because you get that and people just, you know, if they afford it, they can play. Mm -hmm. You get so many different people that come to the table every day that you're just sort of, I don't know. It's like enamoring, like looking at all the, the different people you're, you're playing against and sort of why they're there or if they, why they like poker or like, you know, if they're just there to just for entertainment or they're trying really hard to like be the best poker player they are. I think it's always, that's the cool thing about in-person poker. We call it like live poker instead of online. Online, you're in front of your computer. You don't really get that sort of social, um, that social game that you get in live poker. 
Mm-hmm. So I think that's just like the, I always find that the most interesting and there's just so many bizarre characters in poker. I mean, <laughs> if you've ever watched like the world series of poker yeah. on ESPN stuff like that, there's, I mean, just ridiculous characters that come across <laughs> whether they have like uh, weird gambling, uh, like bets going on or funny glasses, funny glasses or just, just how they play. We have one guy, he's called uh, Frank the tank that plays these world poker tours and he always shows up with a, an old chicken wing. <laughs> and yeah, I guess it's like his lucky wishbone type thing. <laughs> like, a, like an actual chicken wing, the kind you eat. Yeah. Yeah. It's in like a plastic bag, but I think, I think now he's had, he's gotten a fake one because okay. he's probably complaining, but you know, he's just yelling, drinking beers, interesting <laughs> character, but yeah. good guy and stuff like that. And it's always interesting to see different people. I mean, if you're just, there's not many places you get to interact with so many people in, you know, in the States or across the, the world or anything like that at a poker table. Mm-hmm. Has anyone ever told you that you have a quirk or a defining characteristic? Um, I mean, people say my like poker face is pretty like intimidating or something like that. It's just very serious but then away from the table i try and be way less serious so if you just like walk by me at the table you'd look like i'd never talk to you or (laughs) say hi or anything like that (laughs) but i'm just trying to focus really hard and you know sometimes there's a lot of money at stake so you gotta do your best yeah something i came across and this kind of gets back to the psychological aspect of the game and I came across the fact that your dad works in oil and you and your family traveled a lot. Mm. So you've lived in a number of different countries. I wonder if you think this worldliness has contributed to you being more observant and understanding people better. Yeah, I definitely contribute that to how I play poker or understand people in some ways. Um, whether it's even just like talking to people or asking certain questions. Right. Um, but also just at the table, you can sort of like stereotype maybe a little bit, uh, different like players and, you know, based on how they look and stuff like that, it gets you sort of a a baseline of how you're going to maybe play against them. Mm -hmm. So that helps. But also I think just, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, like traveling was the worst to me. My dad would tell us like we're moving here and I would just like cry all day and you know, okay. just be, be mortified. And then as I've grown up my parents are like, wow, you travel, you know, more than us. Like who would have thought you would, you would ever <laughs> want to do all this traveling after. Um, so, but yeah, I think just meeting all those people when I lived in Egypt for high school, it really opened me up to a lot of different culture. Mm-hmm. Um, before that I lived in like Europe and then different parts of the States. So, but Egypt was definitely different. I learned, you know, just whether it be like religion and we just, everything was just so different. And I think that definitely helps me, you know, just approach the, the poker table with like maybe uncomfortable situations going on or maybe how to interact with you know, certain people. And then also just traveling. Like I went to Spain recently to play a tournament mm-hmm. and, you know, some people, maybe poker players in the, the States, some people might shy away from just traveling different places. Cause you know, they're not used to it or 
I mean, it's also tough to play in a different environment. Mm -hmm. Going back to Egypt for a second, was there anything specifically that kind of took you out of your comfort zone or was it just life there in general was so much different than what you were used to? Yeah, I mean, I think the culture shock just getting there, the, there's no like traffic laws. Um, there's no real organization in Cairo. There's, I mean, I think the city is like as big as LA or something like that. So okay. like north it's of big. 20 million or something like that. Yeah. And uh, just imagine LA, I mean, LA has traffic and stuff like that, but Cairo has like traffic with no rules, no speed lights, no speed limit, stuff like that. So that's always something to get used to. I think the school too is like an international school based on had American curriculum, but mm -hmm. um, I think only a quarter of people were maybe American, half were Egyptian and stuff like that. And then you had just a bunch of different countries. So maybe just being mostly out of my comfort zone was being in school initially and just meeting people and sort of understanding uh, where they came from and stuff like that. And like, sometimes I think back about it and I'm just, it's different. I mean, yeah. Now, like living in the States after high school, like I haven't experienced that as much um, as when I was in that school, so. Do you feel like you ever yearn for that? Like feel like you're drawn to feeling like a fish out of water because you know, your time in Egypt. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Um, like right now I'm in, uh, Joshua tree just for a few days. And that was just a decision for me because I was, I was playing some poker and I was getting a little frustrated cause I have this, this is going to be the biggest tournament I've ever played, um, next week. Uh, so I've been putting a little extra pressure on myself, studying really hard, you know, using those computer, mm -hmm. uh, simulators and, playing a lot of poker and it hasn't been going so well. And sometimes it's just very stressful if you're in the, I think even in the same sort of place for a little bit and things aren't changing. Mm -hmm. So I, I told myself I'd just go for a few days and just try something new. I've never been here. So just going to like the national park and running out an Airbnb and hanging out and just like being off my phone a little bit. I think it's definitely useful. I found good success doing this previously for like the world series of poker i did a cross-country trip by myself on my like a road trip so i think yeah something like that maybe it's just i don't know it's just like the the difference in changing your day up occasionally i think just like helps you look at things differently or refresh or whatever it is when did you realize that that helped you you know, when you're in these moments, when you're stuck, you go to Joshua Tree. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe when I first was moving. So during COVID, I was in, up in Alaska for pretty much most of it. And I was previously living in like Northern Virginia, D.C. area. Mm -hmm. And all the casinos closed. And I was like, well, now is probably like the time to pull the trigger and just move to Vegas, right? The casinos are going to reopen soon. There's online poker there. Like, when else am I going to go? I'm going to miss all my friends back there. But uh, yeah, then I was, you know, start start packing up my stuff. And I, it's just like very 
overwhelming in some way. You're just going to like sort of leave one life to go somewhere else to, to play, play poker. Mm -hmm. Um, but instead of, you know, just like getting a, a, like a moving company to send all my stuff and me take a flight, I was just like, I'm just going to take my car, um, and, uh, go cross country. So I brought a friend along my uh, best friend who I actually met in Egypt. And, you know, it's a lot of fun just experiencing stuff by yourself or with other people. And just, we saw a bunch of different places in the U S and that was pretty unique. I think that's maybe the first time in a while besides the year before where I did a cross country trip that, uh, I felt that maybe that I needed something little, little change. Mm-hmm. Um, probably because during university you're you know in university then you go to get your job and that's sort of all lined up and in some way just like once you're in university okay the next thing's like get a job so you don't have too much time to maybe explore think about what uh what helps you uh grow a little bit Mm -hmm. when you're thinking about an upcoming tournament is it the money you find overwhelming or is it the game? Uh, it's a bit of both. So, I mean, this is, this one's $100,000, so I'll sell a portion of it. But um, I think it's th- this one's unique because it's called the Super High Roller of uh, Bowl of PLO, which is going to be the first of its kind. It's, I mean, just comparing it to like the Super Bowl of football or something for Omaha, which is uh, another type of poker game, which is like probably the second most popular outside of Texas Hold'em. And that's like my favorite game, the one I think I'm the best at. Mm-hmm. So I put extra pressure on myself just because it is a big tournament, um, but also probably because of the money and because I have to get you know some sort of investor. So I also want to like make them feel like it's a good investment that I've been like trying. Yeah, I don't just want to wake up one day and just go play the tournament and like not prepare myself for it. So yeah, I think it's a bit of the, the money. Usually the money isn't a huge factor if you sell enough or don't take a big enough like piece of yourself or play lower stakes because it shouldn't have too much effect on you in the game, right? You mm-hmm. never want to play a pot where you're thinking about, oh my gosh, if I like call here and I lose $2,000, you know, I can't pay my rent or this is going to make me so mad. You never want to approach the actual like poker hand with the thought of money being at the the forefront or else you're going to make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. Have you found that your poker skills bleed over into your everyday life? So I guess maybe a situation that I'm thinking of is, you know, you encounter someone on the street, it's nighttime and they're trying to hustle you. Are you, or do you feel like you're able to read them well? Yeah, I think definitely like on a person to person like basis. I see that a lot, especially living on the Vegas Strip. You get a lot of people trying to, <laughs> I don't know, sell you a CD or sell you this or whatever else. Or, and I, I think I can sort of read through the BS. Um, when, when I was in, uh, where was I? In Athens with my girlfriend a few like last month, we were doing a nice Euro trip, but uh, we're waiting in this long line to get tickets to the Acropolis and some guy shows up. We're like 40 minutes into the line, like almost at the front. Mm-hmm. And some guy rolls up with his like phone on, he's talking really loud and trying to like push his way 
in front of us a little bit, but you know, loudly on the phone, trying not make eye contact. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, this guy's definitely trying to just like completely cut the whole line and like using his phone to confuse people or like make people not want to interact with them. So I like called him out and he's like, I mean, his, his English was like, okay. Um, but he was pretty much, he's like, well, I'm a police officer. Like, <laughs> let me through. And I'm just like, dude, that's complete bullshit. Like, show me your badge. So he's like, you want to see it? And he just like pulls out a wallet. Then just like puts it away. <laughs> doesn't show anything. And then I just like call the, the, the security people. I'm like, this guy says he's a police. Do you think he's a police? And he's just like, and so, you know, like talking with them and stuff like that. And then I just... We got our tickets and I saw him again and I was like, oh, he's still the police. And he was, just, <laughs> you know, so sort of like those things where maybe yeah. like if, if like you're standing in line, you might not think like this guy's doing this for all these reasons. And maybe I've seen that. And like when I lived in Egypt, there's a lot of like bartering, whether you're like trying to get a better deal with the taxi driver or like go to the market. They have a famous uh, market there called the Kanakalili. And my dad would just go there all the time and just, you know, try and get the best price or like barter for like soccer jerseys or like these statues and stuff like that. So I've seen that for a, for a while. So I guess I'm used to that. And, you know, with poker, that helps too. just sort of reading through the BS of some people. Yeah. And what's your family's relationship to poker? Uh, no relationship. Um, when I remember we moved when I was like about eight to Scotland mm-hmm. for my dad's job. And we'd come back, you know, every summer, winter, stuff like that. And my, my grandma lives in Homer. My dad grew up in Homer. So mm-hmm. we'd usually end up there and she had a nice like uh, lake house and my uncles and aunts, great aunts and uncles would come and they'd play like penny poker or something like that. And I would, I would join, you know, and we'd play like, I don't know what type of games, um, any sort of like game, but no like Texas Hold'em back then. And mm-hmm. I remember enjoying it from, from there and didn't play too much. But then sometimes when I wasn't like fishing or something like that, we'd watch, uh, well, I would just watch like ESPN World Series of Poker main event coverage. Yeah. With like, that's like the, I guess this was probably like early 2000s. So it's like the really prime stuff where like Chris Moneymaker came in, won the main event, and now it's booming. It's all over ESPN. There's thousands of people showing up for this tournament. And you just watch that thing and you'd be like, wow, there's some interesting people I've never seen. Are these like characters in a show or something? Or are these just like real people acting like this? Or (laughs) what's this game? Like, what's this world? So that's like the only relation we have in poker. I mean, when I told my parents that I wanted to pursue poker, you know, they're a little confused. Um, you know, it's just like a, such a different world. Uh, a lot of people just think it's like going to play as a blackjack card counter or like play a slots. It's a very different game.
what do you think originally drew you to it, you know, back at your grandma's house in Homer? Was it the game? Was it the characters? Or was it maybe a combination of the two? Yeah, I think like thinking back, you don't even like really pay attention to like the actual poker that's being played. So it's probably more the characters, like all these, okay. these big names and like these guys are making their, their livelihood playing poker. And then especially early 2000s, everybody was way more ridiculous. Like, because <laughs> there was no like really online poker and not, not people like, people came from like a live poker background. So they weren't like playing online poker to get started. They're playing in a casino and they're just like hanging around casinos. So you just get, get a bunch of different, <laughs> different people. Yeah, casino people. Um, yeah, so it's a very <laughs> unique crowd sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I mean, I, I after watching those like World Series of Poker things, I you know I played some video games and stuff like that with poker, but I don't remember playing any in like maybe like middle school or high school. Really, I played like one game in high school, and then in, in college it sort of took off mm -hmm. with like some dorm mates started playing. Some five dollar tournaments turned into a poker club there at Virginia Tech, and then I was just playing home games, sort of in random cities in Virginia for a little bit while I was studying. And I have questions about your time at Virginia Tech, but mm -hmm. I wanted to finish up with your grandma's house. Who usually won those games at your grandma's house? I mean, I don't really, <laughs> you know. I, th I think I won, but, you know, you don't know if they're just, like, letting you sort of win. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> this is my great aunt. Two, two great uncles, I think, we mainly play with in my, my grandma. So uh, maybe beat them for a few pennies. Did you look up to any players when you were growing up, you know, after you realized, like, I think I like this game? Yeah, um, I remember watching, like, Chino Ream play. It's this, uh, I think he's from Florida, I want to say. But he's a poker player, still plays now. Um, yeah, he just always had that really good energy at the table. He would talk to people in the hands, get like good reads, and always just sort of play this like street poker game way mm -hmm. away from like the computers and like how you should play. If he thought the guy, you know, didn't have it, he would, he would bet all his chips on it. Mm -hmm. uh, just his sort of mannerisms. I thought, you know, Phil Homme is a classic one, just... I don't know exactly if I like looked up to how he played, but he was very entertaining and that's always what he's been. Uh, he's also called the poker brat. People have probably definitely like seen him on clips on YouTube or something like that. Um, one as well, like Daniel Negreanu, who I actually get the privilege of playing with quite a bit, okay. especially in the last few years at the poker Go studio and stuff like that. Um, I mean, definitely looked up to him. He was always good at the table, good professional stuff like that. And then there were some like lesser known guys that I remember seeing when I started taking it more seriously. It's like this really small YouTuber called Kevin Flop. Okay. And uh, he was just like talking about like what it is to be like a poker pro, sort of like, I don't know, very rare to see anybody on YouTube at that time besides like corporations like pokernews.com or something like that. So this guy has his own channel and he's just talking about different things in poker and always looked up to him and just like, you know, would watch his videos. And when you do get the opportunity to play with these guys, you know, that you looked up to back in the day, what's that like? 
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of strange because you're like sitting there at the table and all of a sudden, you know, Negrano sits down and you're like, okay, this is like awesome, right? But like, you're also playing against the guy. So you have to keep your head on and try and like play good poker. Yeah. Um, and then like, I remember my first, first time I played like Phil Ivey or something and we were playing, what was it? Maybe a Palomino Omaha tournament during the World Series. And he sits down to my left. And I'm all intimidated and stuff like, oh man, you know, it's, this is like regarded as one of the best players of all time. And then like he messed up a hand and I was like, oh man, I guess like, you know, he's like, fallible. I can handle this guy a little bit, right? Like yeah. I think I would have played that hand maybe a little better than him. So it ha you have to like realize at the end of the day, like you might be as good as these guys or like in the same ballpark and stuff like that. So, you know, it's really cool and unique to just like play with the people you've watched growing up. But mm -hmm. also it's fun to be able to compete with them at like some sort of level. Yeah, and I feel like there's probably this moment that happens where, you know, you originally come in and you feel like a bit of an outsider. You know, maybe there's a feeling of imposter syndrome because these people that you've been watching for so long on the TV feel so distant. But then now, you know, you're sitting right next to them. Yeah, it's it's definitely, I mean, it's it's very rare to be able to like do that it's like poker is one of the few places you can actually just like watch somebody on TV. And now like the next day you can play with them. Even if like you're not up their level, that's the cool thing. Like you could just like buy into the tournament and they get seated next to you randomly. And mm -hmm. that's pretty cool mm -hmm. there. I mean, like if you, you know, watch basketball, you're never going to really get a, get a play <laughs> on the same court as them yeah. and like compete at any reasonable, you know, um, but that's why poker's cool. You know, it's a lot of skill. There is some luck into it. And sometimes like the worst player wins or the better player gets lucky on the, the worst player. So, but def definitely strange feeling to sit across somebody you've been watching on TV or you looked up to, and now you're playing the same tournament and maybe winning a pot off them. How often do you see that? See beginner's luck, you know, where someone maybe has the money to pay for the buy-in and they don't have the skills, but they pull it off. Yeah. I mean, you see it all the time. You do. Okay. Yeah. Like there's, you know, the main event has 8,000 people or something like that. I think it was like, how many people was it? Maybe a thousand people when Chris Moneymaker won. And, okay. You know, if you look at his story, he never played a live tournament before. He won his seat into the main event playing a smaller tournament online for like a hundred bucks or something to get into this $10,000 tournament. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, he won that main event and it was the, the reason it boomed poker is because now everybody's like, Oh, I can do that because mm -hmm. he was a complete mm -hmm. new player. He was an accountant out of Tennessee. And now, you know, he won the main event. Now a lot of people are like, I can do that. So you actually see it quite regularly even on like the big stage, um, you know, the best players have a, a better chance of winning every time, but it's not going to happen, you know, the majority of the time. So, so you see it, you know, tons of times I've taken lots of second places or, you know, worse finishes than somebody that got first or higher up than me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they didn't, 
deserve it or something from like their study or the work they do at poker. But that's the cool thing about poker is like anybody could walk in and sort of win on any given day and beat the pros. Yeah, it does seem like it has that appeal of being very democratic. Yeah. So if you like look at, I was listening to some podcasts the other day mm-hmm. and they were talking about how like, uh, like billiards or pool players, you know, there's not that much money really on the line at these like tournaments for them because there's not too much variance in the games, right? The pros are going to be compete against the pros. But if like you or I walk in, I don't know your pool game, but Mm -hmm. we'd get, we'd never win. We'd like actually just never win against these guys. But in poker, there's more money being bet because like these amateurs know they have a chance to beat these guys or they might bring something new to the game that they can compete with the guy. So because of that little bit of luck in the game Mm -hmm. and there's all these psychological factors, it makes the game pretty unique. And then also like a lot of sort of, that's why you see these like million dollar tournaments and stuff like that. And big, big pots all all on TV is compared to like pool is because just the, the difference in the game with that, that luck. How does that sit with you now that you are at the skill level that you're at? Because I feel like for the casual players who look at a game and they're like, I can do that buy-in. I can pay for that. And they do well, but in all actuality, they're a novice. I wonder how someone in your position looks at that now rather than when you were initially coming up. Like looks at what part of it, sorry. No, no, that's okay. Uh, Looks at those amateurs coming in and doing well when, you know, maybe you want to play a good game and then here they come in. Yeah. Right. Like more like a jealousy factor. Like you, you sit there and you think you're a really good player in this like like bad player wins the tournament and you're like, why not me? Why, why? I mean, yeah, I think that is definitely something you struggle with when you're starting, especially if you don't have like results and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You might even see other poker players, like not all professional poker players are really good players or like even winning players, right? They, there's no requirement that makes you a professional. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you're, you're even, I had a you know friend that he was like, working really hard at the game, stuff like that. And, you know, he'd look and like these guys would just get great results and he would just not get too many good results. And it, you know, it's very tough in your head. You're like, what am I doing wrong? I'm doing everything I can. I'm studying, I'm Mm -hmm. whatever. And it's just the variance of the game. So you have to sort of embrace that and like really try, especially in poker, not to be jealous of anybody's results and sort of try and be happy for especially your friends. Sometimes it even happens for myself. Sometimes I get jealous if my, my friend has a good result and then like I've sat there for like a, you know, a month or two not doing very well. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, that's very toxic for your like own well being and stuff like that and relationships. So you just, I think you grow into it and just realize like, you know, all you can do is work on your game and have a good mindset and, you know, root for your friends and stuff like that. Yeah. So, I mean, when I see an amateur, I'm like, great, you know, this is like pretty cool. And like, you know, the guy's enjoying poker. Like, it's always fun to see new players win or, you know, some people that play a lot of tournaments and don't have good results and maybe they win one, you know? Yeah. So I know you and your family moved out of Anchorage when you were about eight, mm-hmm. but 
you make it back every now and then, you know, to visit family. During those visits back, are you finding any local games to play in? Um, I don't try and play too many. I played one last trip in like August or something like that. Uh, one of my friends put together a game that was a lot of fun. Uh, I don't really search them out because I sort of treat going back to Alaska as like a reset or something or try and get away. Mm-hmm. It's like if you're, you know, you're working your job and you finally get a vacation, you really don't want to look at your work emails or anything like that. So yeah. it's the same with poker, like poker's fun, but it is like a job too. So I'm putting in a lot more hours than, you know, most people in poker. So I don't want to really go home and play too much. Um, yeah. So I've been doing like, Occasionally, I'll do like a charity event with like another poker player, Perry Green, who was mm-hmm, mm-hmm. got number two in the World Series main event, and you know is a longtime poker legend in Alaska and in the poker community. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll do something like that, maybe like teach people how to play poker. And I find that a little more fun than playing myself, um, just opening people's uh, uh, view of poker. You know, telling them a little bit about it. You can make a living. You know, why is it different than like all these other, these gambling games and stuff like that? It's completely different world. So yeah, when I'm in Alaska, there's, there's no poker going on. Maybe on Sunday I'll play online poker cause that's a big day or something like that, but I'm not really avidly searching it out. Okay. And with these, these charity games that you're playing with uh, Perry, are you able to soak up any game from him? Um, a little bit. It's it's not even like the, the game he's playing I'm soaking up. It's maybe his experiences because the mm-hmm. game's changed a lot since he was like, you know, really playing it hard. Mm-hmm. The, the game's evolved a lot. There's computers. The players you're playing against are playing different in some ways. So that changes strategies. Um, so... Yeah, I get like stories or like, you know, sort of like what he thinks like makes a good poker player, or like what not to do, um, you know, so, sort of like little pieces of advice like that. I wouldn't say like the actual, actual game, right? Mm-hmm. But how to be like a pro is what I get from him. Yeah. I have a few buddies who used to play poker around Anchorage and they've told me about a few spots where it's dressed up to look as much as something like Vegas as it can be. You know, with these big, solid poker tables and cocktail waitresses, have you ever seen or been or heard of places like that in Anchorage? I haven't heard of those all dressed up and stuff like that. But, uh, I mean, (laughs) I want to see what like a poker game all dressed up in Alaska looks like. I wonder if it's like Alaska dressed up or like Vegas dressed up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I've never been. I just heard. Yeah. No, I haven't. uh... Uh, I have heard maybe sometimes people put on like their own own games once in a while like that. But the regular games that are running, I mean, it's just like poker tables, maybe cocktail waitresses, but I don't think it's very glamorous. Like you'll get pizza and stuff okay. like that or maybe some food. <laughs> uh, but, you know, sometimes I don't get the invites to these games too. So, <laughs> Do you like games like that? Do you like you know, finding these more kind of underground intimate experiences where maybe, maybe, you know, a few people, maybe you don't know anybody and you can just kind of enjoy the game. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I was in college, 
I started playing sort of those home games. I would go random people's houses in Virginia somewhere and the crowd would be like me and then like a bunch of 50 year old guys that have known each other since like they were 20. Mm -hmm. And that's like always pretty cool and unique. The, the only risk is like once you start playing pretty serious stakes, so a few thousand dollars or something like that, you really have to be careful with these games. So I sort of shy away with that, even though I'd love to show up and just play a game, but you have to make sure it's legit, whether it's like the people are going to pay you out. Um, maybe their shuffler machine could be cheating you, stuff like that. There's oh, a bunch okay. of different ways to get cheated in these home games. That's why the casino game, even though it's not as like, I don't know, like I always like stuff that's like a little like dirtier, like different than like a casino that's just like sort of regimented. But um, unfortunately, sometimes you have to be safe too. <laughs> yeah. And are you ever worried or is it on your mind when you go to these underground games back in college? Like I might get robbed. You know, it was like, it was more like if it ever would get shut down because mm, these okay. places would take like a portion of rake, which is illegal. Um, which like only the game runner is going to get in trouble with the, you know, the police or anything like that. But not too much. I never heard of like too many like robberies or anything like that. I think once you start getting out of the few hundred, I mean, we're playing for like 50 to $200 usually stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Once you get out of that, I think that becomes more of a, more of an issue and like really just knowing the people you're doing, you're playing with and uh, who they're inviting and stuff like that keeps you pretty clear. But yeah, I think that's always like in the back of your mind, sort of, if you know, make sure that you're not taking risk. Cause like the, the game's not worth it if there's any risk like that, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. And so back in college at Virginia Tech, you were running games out of your dorm room, right? Uh, I wasn't really running them. We were just, uh, we'd have like a community room and there would be like six of us playing like a $5 game. Okay. Like one day I joined these guys, they're like, hey, you want to play like five bucks? And I won. So that's sort of history usually for most poker players if they won the first time. <laughs> I guess it's like for gambling in general, like if somebody wins big at blackjack or something, they're sort of hooked or yeah. anything that goes well for you right away, you're going to think you're either good at it or you like it. Yeah. You feel like you get it. Yeah. Like I thought I was so good. Right away. <laughs> I'm like, Oh yeah. I used to watch this when I was a kid yeah. and I played a little online. Like these guys aren't very good. And it's probably just the variance of the game sort of inflates your ego. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of like stand up stories that I've heard about stand up comedy where, you know, newbies go on stage and they kill it you know everyone's laughing it's great and it's like their first second third fourth time up there but that you know fifth time or the sixth time where they just bomb that's the most memorable and that's like the most important pivotal experience in the beginning of their career yeah yeah you have to figure out what like how to deal with whatever's wrong like i've had call them down swings in poker where you're just like losing all the time. And mm -hmm. no matter what you do, you just like can't win a pot. So like that's happened the last few weeks. That's maybe why I came out here before that the tournament. And you have to just sort of look at yourself and, you know, work on your craft. So like, I'm sure comedians, like maybe they're using the same material and now they're not delivering the punchline how they should, or, you know, mm -hmm. they're just sort of like in a repetition 
like a cycle where you're just like doing the same things, but you're not actually improving or doing anything different. So eventually that runs out. Are you the type of person that needs other people around? You know, you need sociability, you need uh, a social aspect, or are you the type of person who goes to a place like Joshua Tree to reset and during that time it's very personal and you're alone um yeah i think i i do both i really like okay. social settings and but like i would be fine like sharing this experience with other people but i think when i'm like really trying to figure out where my mind's at or something i think it's just like best for me to sort of figure it out and think and then maybe talk to like people or you know just figure out what's going on. Like if I can't figure it out, but I think first you just have to like, sometimes just close the door and, you know, turn off your phone and try and like actually think there's so much like clutter and like easy distractions. Now it's very tough to like actually just think on your own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I like doing both, but sometimes, yeah, when I'm really like trying to get serious, I guess it's just solo for a little bit and <laughs> think. Where do you think your mind is at right now? Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I, I like feel like I'm doing a lot of good things because I've been going to the gym more consistently, trying to diet a little bit, and I'm happy with all that. And then I've mm -hmm. been also working a lot harder at poker um, in the last few weeks. So I think that's good. But like sometimes I'll, I'll sit down, play poker and get frustrated. And usually I don't really get frustrated losing pots and stuff. Like mm -hmm. even like slamming my mouse down or something after you take like a beat or something. Like okay. That. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, well, you're like thinking about it, like, it shouldn't be doing that. That shouldn't be a habit. So I think you just need to take a pause and look at yourself sometimes and be like, why am I acting a little different? Maybe I need like a break or so like, I think I'm going in the right direction. It's just has to like, you know, just keep working at it. Do you find yourself in these moments of self-reflection and soul searching? Do you find that you're able to, you know, recalibrate by yourself or with something like, poker and being in a position and a skill level that you're at right now, I feel like your professional circle gets smaller and smaller and smaller, the better you get and the higher you go. And so in order to kind of find out or figure out what's personally happening with you, it is sometimes helpful to talk to other people at your same level. Do you ever find yourself doing that? Yeah. I mean, especially with like poker, sometimes like I might look at a situation or a hand I played and I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, let's look at it in the computer or, you know, and the computer only gives you so much. And like, sometimes you need other people's opinions or like they have different experiences. So they might have a different like notion of like what you did wrong or what you, what they think you did Right. So I always talk to like my friends, if I, we have like a, a group chat, we talk in and, you know, sometimes it's like funny and we're just like hanging out chatting, but sometimes we'll have like actual, you know, hand breakdowns where we're like talking, you know, should we do this? Or why do you think this is good? And like, mm -hmm. these are the people I'm playing with. So it's definitely good in that sense to like, 
have a, a group to talk to to get different opinions on. Maybe their opinions are wrong, but it's also like good to know how other people think in in poker. So mm-hmm. like every opinion's useful in some way. It might be useful that, you know, it's like a bad opinion and like, oh, I shouldn't do that in this situation. But mm-hmm. you'll also like expand your thoughts and they might bring up something that you've been missing or something like that. That could be very simple. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is tough. Like, I mean, the same group of poker players hasn't expanded too much since we started. Maybe like lost a few people along the way because they're not playing poker or they're playing lower stakes or something like that or whatever happens. So yeah, it is sort of hard to like add people, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe because you're just like a little closed off as a group. So, Do you still talk to anybody from Virginia Tech? You know, anybody from those games? Yeah, I've I've still some pretty good friends um, that I talked to. Um, Saw one in D.C. recently. We hung out. I'm going actually back to Blacksburg where Virginia Tech is Mm -hmm. next month to watch a football game and meeting up with uh, one guy. He's housing us that uh, ran the game I actually played in. So there's always like to, yeah, like talk to those guys and it's fun to reminisce or see what they're doing or if there's a game, you know, I like going, going back there and playing. It's just fun. Yeah. It's, it's more like raw, I guess when you like sit down at a, a house and play poker than like going to a casino and you, I sort of miss that. Yeah. And it seems like maybe getting back to your roots too, because that's sounds like where you really started. Right. Yeah. It's a, and it's like, honestly, you could use it as like a, a good tool to like, reevaluate like how you're playing and like how these other people are playing poker and stuff like that. Or just also like why you liked it in the first place or love the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did anything memorable ever happen at those games in college? Maybe a story that comes to mind. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I remember one time I played a hundred dollar game and it was probably been there going there for like months or something like that. Mm-hmm. Same game as the the guy I'm meeting up in Blacksburg, um, his game. And at the end of the night, I cashed out for, I want to say it was like $1,800 or something. But at the time, you know, I probably shouldn't have been been playing $100 buy-in, but I was like doing pretty well at it. And I just remember at the end of the night, the the game runner is like, hey, do you mind if I uh, hold on to some of that? Because... You broke everybody at the table. <laughs> There's like nobody, you know, some people didn't show up with money. He put them on like a marker or something where like they owe back or whatever. Okay. It doesn't happen too often, but I'm like, okay, man, I like trust you. And I was like, but I just remember sitting there like looking at it, took pictures of like my chip stack and it was just pretty surreal. I remember driving home in my car, like it's like 4.30 a.m. I had class the next day. I was like, man, this is pretty, pretty top, top tier. <laughs> this is yeah. pretty cool. So that feeling that you got at that game, you know, that compared that amount compared to what you make now is pretty tiny, but I wonder how often you get that same feeling. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's pretty rare. I mean, the stakes definitely changed now on average, I'm like winning or losing that amount of day, you know? So, um, yeah, it'd have to be like winning a tournament or something like that, or really big cash game, or just like 
I could imagine just going to like a game that I'm not used to, you know, sometimes play these like really big stakes games you get invited to that are run privately mm-hmm. at the the casino. Sometimes they run them privately and you play those and that's pretty exhilarating because it's a new experience. So yeah, definitely, definitely uh, wears down as everything does, you know, I know like uh, concert performers and stuff like that. Artists like talk about how they go on stage and like after a few times, it's just like, they're not getting that dopamine or something. Yeah. What kind of player do you see yourself as? Oh, I mean, poker wise, I'm just, I get pretty, pretty aggressive and, you know, I go to that sort of Chino Reem style. I was talking about if like, I think Mm -hmm. the guy doesn't have it or he's scared money. He's like afraid to put in chips. Um, if I put them all in, like I'll, you know, put them to the test in every way. So, but I'm also, I think pretty patient so I can slow it down if the table is getting a little crazy or, you know, in poker, you're always supposed to play the opposite of how the average person at the player plays. So if you're playing at a table and there's eight guys just playing every hand and playing super loose, you should play very conservative. Okay. So, you know, you might see me at the table, I'll be playing like every hand, but sometimes I'll very much tone it down, especially maybe later stage in a tournament when the, the money's coming into a factor, you start playing a little different. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I try and play in a really well-rounded place, but I also use a lot of like live tells and psychology when I play. So if I pick up anything, then I'm just going to go with it. And I think going with your gut in a lot of things is very important. So. Mm-hmm. How does the lifestyle of a poker player mesh with your personality? Are there things that you will or won't do? It's um, a good question. I have. I'm trying to think. I know when I'm at the table, I'll try and like always be pretty rational about everything. So maybe when I'm in real life, or I'm just trying to make the best decision possible, like outside of emotion, usually, mm-hmm. especially in poker. I think that's super important, right? You're just trying to make the best strategic option always. Um, so I think I do that a lot in life, whether it's like if I'm traveling, I'm really trying to find like the, the best place to go eat or mm-hmm. like really researching, like I'll spend like way too much time, like looking at different reviews and stuff like that and dissecting it. And, you know, if we do this, then I can like hit that up. Like yeah. <laughs> this morning I woke up, I was like, okay, it says I can do the national park in three to four hours. I have this podcast at two thirty, So let's try and just like be as efficient as possible. So I was doing like a hike and I was like, supposed to be like two hours to three hours it said i'm like well if i run a quarter of it then i'll definitely make it back in time <laughs> stuff like that so, <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's just like just trying to get the most out of my time maybe and being like efficient so i think at the poker table i try and do that with like staying engaged and being productive when i'm trying to be productive yeah do you feel like you're the type of person that um that needs to be doing something constantly. It, it's funny because I used to always think no. And then now everybody tells me I'm like my dad and I have to like always go. <laughs> yeah. Like he was notorious from like booking, like when we lived in Scotland, he would have like a layover in like, I don't know, Amsterdam or something for like two, two and a half hours. And he would spend an hour and a half like in the city somehow. 
yeah. seeing everything he could and then get back on. So, so I try and do that. Maybe not as like <laughs> crazy, but I, I'm definitely one that likes to have something to do or, you know, I will like chill and relax, but at the, like at some point I'm just in my head, I'm like, what am I doing? I should be doing like something better. Yeah. Or FOMO. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely something like that. Just like, don't want to waste the day. And sometimes you wake up the next day, you're like, wow, I did absolutely nothing yesterday. And like, sometimes that's good though. Resetting, but just gotta, can't overdo it. Yeah. So earlier we talked about soaking up game from players who have been in the game for a long time. Have you absorbed any advice about longevity in the industry? Yeah, def definitely. I'm trying to... Who exactly? I always try and talk to some people. I talk to, you know, sort of this one guy, Sean Winter. He's a really high stakes player that I have respect for. He plays a lot of the more the live tell psychological talking game at the table. He's very quirky. Okay. Um, but you know, he, he's, he's from Florida originally, I think. So casinos, they're open to you at 18. So he's been in the casino since 18. So he has all that advice from just being in the casino and stuff like that. So I, mm -hmm. I messaged him a few times, just, Hey man, like I, you know, I feel like I'm taking like shots in these tournaments, like, you know, biting off a little more than I can chew because I think it's like a good situation, but just having no results, like, what do you think? And he's just like, you know, as long as you're more prepared or, you know, whatever, he gave me some good like nuggets, stuff like that. Yeah. Where it's just like, you can take risks as you're younger, just make sure you have something to fall on and like, you know, take your shots when like you think it's right and don't be like emotional about it or else, you know, the emotions just so important in poker. You never want to play emotional poker or else you're just not going to play good. So mm -hmm. it's like, take, take your shots. You're young. You can always like get it back in some way. And, and then I've talked to a few other people and just listening to other people's interviews and stuff like that. I think just controlling your bankroll management, whether you're like selling action to backers and stuff like that, or dropping down in stakes. I mean, I've never gone broke in poker and, but just so many people going broke just because they just, you know, they have so many vices or they just gamble too hard in situations. So just always just try to listen to people that have been around for years in poker and always done okay. And just, I don't know. I just ask a lot of people or just learn it. I've tried to like never get too carried away with any, any one tournament. Like there's tournaments every day. So you can find a better, better situation usually. Yeah, that's smart. It, you know, let me know if I get this right, but it really sounds like you're the type of person that does a lot of research. You know, you know that that information is out there and you seek that information out for the good information, for the bad information, for the bad information or the bad stories. You take that as a cautionary tale. And, you know, you absorb it in a way that's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to really try to avoid those pitfalls. Yeah, I think it's just, there's, I, I think like getting a bunch of information, as I like said earlier with, you know, getting opinion on like poker hands in general and life is just like, 
pretty good just to hear stories that went wrong, right? You, mm-hmm, you need to mm-hmm. hear about like the person that failed or like why they failed or else you might fall into the same thing. So I was lucky that, you know, I started poker a little later. I was like a turned professional, I think when I was 26 or something like that. Most people start when they're 21, mm-hmm. you know, um, just like learning from other people. I remember when I was turning professional, before that, I told myself, you know, I'm going to work my job and I'm going to play nights online poker and at casinos and grind up and make some money just to ensure that I could never really fail. So yeah. luckily I got off to like a hot start after I turned pro, but like some people just throw themselves into like poker and don't have any money or something like that. And it's like when your back's against the, the wall and you're playing poker, it's not good you're going to like gamble too hard in situations, try and, you know, hit big or something like that. So I learned a lot from just other people's stories and just hearing how many like poker people went broke, especially Mm -hmm. like early in like early two thousands when it was really like getting going with a lot of people coming to the game. But sometimes I do need to like just tune off all the, the, the inputs and stuff. Like I think I was watching TV yesterday and like I saw something and then I was just like, oh, I should Google this guy now. Like while I'm watching this TV, I'm like, why don't I just like watch this and maybe like <laughs> learn about the guy later? Like sometimes yeah. it's just like it comes up and you're like, well, let's look or like, you know, it's hard to turn it off, I guess. Yeah. I mean, especially with this constant barrage of information that is always around us. You know, yeah. I find myself, um, if I wake up in the middle of the night, my instinct is to grab my phone and distract myself and I keep my Kindle next to, you know, my side of the bed. And I, I find myself uh, really trying to pick that up instead and read a book, which, you know, is much healthier in my opinion than, you know, doom scrolling on social media. Yeah. And it has a tendency to put me to sleep much faster. Yeah, it's very tough for me to like put my phone to the side or like not watch like a video when mm-hmm. I'm going to bed. It's like some nagging urge to just like grab it and look at nothing. So I do do struggle with like, like social media is sort of important with poker, especially more recently. Now there's a lot of sponsorship opportunities when you're like, you'll find maybe early two thousands poker pros used to be like the best players or the guys you'd see at the casino. So you'd see Phil Ivey, Gus Hansen, Danny Negreanu, all those guys, and they'd be all patched up. But now you sort of look at it. Most of these big sponsors are really like YouTube driven people or, you know, Twitch, which is like, you know, you're like, you're streaming poker online to like a bunch of people. Mm -hmm. And like some of these people are good players but like the best players, like they're never getting really these sponsorships now. And it's these mm. guys that are attracting, you know, it makes sense. Like these guys are actually attracting an audience. It's not like NFL, like the best players get the audience. Mm-hmm. It's a little different in this. So with like social media, it's sort of important to have to try and secure like a little bit of following for if you're trying to pursue stuff like that. So yeah, that makes me like use it, but I'm like trying to use it productively, but doesn't always work. How often do you consider your fears as they relate to playing poker and it being your career? Yeah. I mean, there's always something in the the back of your mind, just, you know, 
making sure you're like not making like work take over. I mean, mm-hmm. just like poker taking over. Like I could turn on my, like while we're on this podcast, I could open up a poker site and play like four tables of cash games and you won't even like know it. Right. So like <laughs> you just gotta <laughs> yeah. be like, turn stuff off sometimes. And it's like, I, I try to, you know, there's a casino, a poker room everywhere around me. There's online sites. So I think a good life balance is like something I strive for. And it's like fearful that, you know, I'm doing both at a, a good rate and make sure I'm playing enough, studying enough and like improving, but also having good relationships outside of that. So during this conversation, you've had the urge to play online no, poker. No, I <laughs> no, no, okay. no. I was just saying, yeah, like it's very easy for me. It's like two clicks and I'm playing. Yeah. You know? No, no urge. Maybe when I was younger. Well, Adam, those are all the questions I have for you. You know, I want to thank you for spending this time with me and I wish you all the best in all of your upcoming tournaments. Yeah, appreciate getting on here with you and uh, some great questions in there. Appreciate it. For more information about the Anchorage Museum, visit anchoragemuseum.org. This podcast was produced by me, Cody Liska, for the Anchorage Museum, with additional help from Julie Decker. Chattermark's music is produced by Keys Open Doors. Thank you.